You and I know investing can be pretty complicated, but it's not impossible to learn the ins and outs of it so we can retire comfortably. But why so much pressure? Is it because of the complicated jargon and the paperwork? We just throw up our hands and say, I give up. And so I think we kind of have built up retirement as this huge like milestone in our lives. And so when we're investing, we think, well, if investing is the thing that gets us to retirement, I sure as heck better not mess it up. Ouch. Did that feel like a punch in the gut like it did for me? By the way, that's Michelle. She's a fiduciary financial advisor and financial coach who helps folks just like us navigate this faraway thing called retirement. She's been where you are, afraid of looking at the paperwork and making some pretty big mistakes, which she shares in this episode. The good news is that she's overcome her fears, and so can you. So let's learn about how to make investing less scary, shall we? Welcome to Beyond the Dollar. With me, Sarah Lee Kane, we have deep and honest conversations about how money affects your well-being. We go there. The guilt, stress, exhilaration, and fear, no topic is taboo. My guest is Michelle Waymeyer, the founder of Young and Scrappy, a specialty practice serving young investors. We chat about some of the ways our brain is wired to work against us when it comes to investing, how we can get it out of our way, and being empathetic to yourself, even if you've made mistakes in the past. Stick around to the end, where I'm going to give you some actionable tips on how to work with that little voice in the back of your head where it tells you that you suck at investing, which is totally not true. Before we get started, I have a small ask. If you get a lot of value out of these episodes, one way to support the show is to sign up for a free trial of Audible. It doesn't cost you anything. When you sign up, you get a 30-day trial, which includes two audiobooks for free. I get a little kickback in return, which will help fund the show. To nab your free trial, go to beyondthedollar.co slash audible. Now to find resources shared in this episode, head over to beyondthedollar.co or click on the link in your podcast app. Now get ready, grab a seat, and let's go beyond the dollar. Michelle, welcome. So excited to have you on Beyond the Dollar. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Just for everyone, we're going to try to make this episode as jargon-free as possible because I'm pretty sure investing can be intimidating for you. But if there is a bit of jargon, we'll make sure to explain it. Before we start really getting to the nitty-gritty of investing and why some people might get intimidated, can you talk a little bit about the differences or even the myths between saving versus investing? Yeah, absolutely. And I kind of want to kick things off maybe by saying like before we even get into that, like if you are terrified of investing, know that I myself learned it fairly late in life. I have a dad who's an accounting professor and I managed to basically get all the way to grad school without making any solid or successful investing decisions. And so it's only only in the last few years that I started to really appreciate the difference between saving and investing, but I would think about it in terms of you know, if you're saving, typically you have some sort of goal in mind. Ideally, you also have some sort of dollar amount in mind or a target you're trying to hit. You might open up a savings account at the bank and you're kind of putting in money over time to reach your goal, right? We're all very familiar with that process. Investing takes it a step further and says, rather than parking that money for a goal in cash or in a savings account, let's actually put that money to work 
and make sure that it's growing over the long term. So savings obviously is a lot more safe, but the odds of you really earning substantial money on your savings, not super high nowadays. The best interest rates you can look for are about 2%, not super exciting. On the investing side, it's a little bit more suitable for longer term goals, things that you've got a little bit of time for just in case. It's a little bit more risky, but you also have the potential to make more money. Did that answer your question? Yes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what do you mean by longer term? Can you tell our listeners maybe a specific time frame, like how many years would you consider a long term thing? I would say anything that's five years away from now or longer might be a good candidate for an investment-related goal. If it's less than five years, okay, so you start getting in some gray area. Mm, so like if I were to say for our home, which both of us were just chatting that we, we just purchased a home, that might not be well-suited for investing, say if someone were to buy something in the next two years. Yeah, that's exactly right. All right. So I want to dive a little bit into your why didn't you learn about investing until you're in grad school, even though you said your father uh, was an accounting professor. So talk to me a little bit about that. Like what, what was the reasoning? Was it fear or something else? So growing up with an accounting professor dad, the number one thing that I heard as I was preparing to go to college was don't study accounting. It's boring as hell. <laughs> Which you know, take that with a grain of salt. It's like pretty interesting dad advice as, as far as that goes. And so when I got to college, I had this desire to basically study everything except for business. And I think part of it was a little bit of fear of the unknown. I mean, in high school, at least where, where I went to school, there were no business classes. I mean, there were like FBLA or future business leaders of America or whatever. I was not at all involved in it. I went to one econ class in high school, and I'll be super honest, as a senior, my attendance was spotty at best. And so getting to college, I just had zero exposure to this whole field. I thought it was boring. I thought it was intimidating. And I just had zero desire to study it. So in college, I mean, I was an international studies major. I took languages and I read books and I wrote papers. My first job out of college, I taught theater in an inner city charter school. I'm like as liberal arts as it gets. So I was pretty hell bent on avoiding money and avoiding business and avoiding investing for a really long time. So at what point did you realize, okay, I got to start learning about this stuff? So my first job out of college, like I said, I was a teacher. And I think when people think about like first year teachers or you know, specifically the experience of teaching in urban areas, they think of something like TFA or some program that kind of gives you the support that you need in order to be good at your job. I did not have that support, admittedly. And I am not ashamed to admit that I was not a good teacher. Like I was not good at my job. I worked really hard, but it just it wasn't for me. And and I thought, you know, this is not my calling. I'll also note that that was the first time that I had ever come across investing because our school offered a 401k plan. I did not know what it meant. I asked my parents, what should I do? And they're like, you should contribute for your retirement. And I was like, cool, I guess I'll do that. At one point after I had quit that job, I went back and looked at old papers and I found an entire stack of unopened 401k reports that I had never bothered to open. I don't think I opened a single statement. And when I left that job, I cashed it out because I didn't know. I cashed it out and I went to Europe. And it was an awesome trip, but that was 2000 and 
it would have been like 2012 when I left that job and took the money and ran. And when I look at kind of how investments have performed since then, you know, I feel a little bit guilty about it. And I'm kind of, you know, I kind of kick myself to this day. But, you know, what are you going to do if you just, if you're not exposed to it? You know, there's sometimes we have no way of knowing. So after that job, we'll call it failed spectacularly, I decided that I never wanted to be in the position again where I couldn't find a job that really fit my passion. I kind of looked around, shopped around for grad schools and ended up in business school because I figured if I want to learn marketable skills and I want to convince people that I am a good thinker and you know a hard worker, then an MBA is going to be the thing that, that helps me get there. So I, <laughs> I went to an MBA program, never having taken a single business class in my life, signed up with the sort of fingers crossed, hopefully I like this. And I turned out to really, really enjoy it. And that's kind of where I, I started learning about investing for the first time. That's when I started appreciating the, the gift I had been given in the form of a 401k and all of that, that good money vibe situation. Well, thank you so much for sharing. <laughs> thank you so much for sharing that story. I think I'm pretty sure a lot of people can relate. Like, oh, I just, you know, cashed it out and didn't really think anything of it, which a lot of people didn't feel shameful about, which I know we're going to talk about in, in a little bit. But again, like it's one of those like you don't know what you don't know. And hindsight's twenty twenty, like you said. And so it's nice to hear that you're like, okay, well, that's something I did. Now I know. And hey, I moved on. And when I first became a financial advisor, it was sort of, it felt like this dirty little secret for me that I didn't want people to know that I had kind of come from this background and cashed out my 401k and like made what most financial professionals would consider like a not great financial decision. I thought, who's even going to trust me if they know that I did this? But honestly, I've come to appreciate that it gives me a lot more empathy for what regular folks are going through when it comes to investing. And I think it's given me the perspective to take a step back and say, hey, I understand what you're going through because trust me, I have also been there and it's totally possible to bounce back from early decisions that you're sort of kicking yourself for later. Yeah. And speaking of empathy, let's let's talk about the anxiety around investing because as you and I know, it's not just about the numbers, it's really the emotions around it. So in your experience, is it really someone's fear of their lack of knowledge or making a mistake? Or what do you think is really beneath the surface when someone's like scared of investing? I think it's a few things. I think you know a big piece of it is, like you said, a fear of making a bad decision or a fear of feeling stupid when you read paperwork that you don't understand. And I think for so many of us, when we think about the American dream, you know, we think about like marriage and 2.5 kids and buying a house and a white picket fence. Like that's kind of the, the stereotypical dream. But I would also argue that retirement as like a classic institution is part of, of the American dream that you do your time at your job and you invest wisely. And then one day you get to quit your job and do whatever you want. And so I think we kind of have built up retirement as this, this huge, like milestone in our lives. And so when we're investing, we think, well, if investing is the thing that gets us to retirement, I sure as heck better not mess it up. Mm, that's a good point. I didn't even think of that in that retirement is such a big milestone because, right, like if you think about it, if you quote unquote mess up retirement, you, you know, I think a lot of people's biggest fear, I believe, is running out of money. Is that something you've come across? The fear of not having a paycheck anymore, the fear of running out of money, the fear that healthcare costs will get so expensive that we won't be able to afford the care we need in our old age. 
Those are some of the biggest fears I hear from clients. So it's no wonder that you know we're kind of focused on everything that could go wrong in retirement that we're not really taking the time to proactively plan early and think about how much abundance and how much awesome stuff we can do if we're if we're able to really invest wisely over time. So if someone is worried about investing because they don't want to make these mistakes or they think, oh my gosh, I'm going to run out of money because I made a bad choice, is it partially they think there's only one way to do it and that if they don't do it that one way, they're going to mess it up? I actually would almost argue for a lot of people, it's the opposite. It's that there's so many ways to invest that we kind of have this sense of overwhelm or like decision paralysis. Because again, I'll compare it back to choosing a bank. If you're trying to find a new bank, there's really only a couple of big features that you're looking for. You're like, do I need checking or savings? Do they have a good online portal? Do my friends use them? Do they have ATMs? Right? You're kind of looking for this like pretty small but standard set of features, which makes it easy to compare options. You know the couple of account types. You're like, do I need checking or savings? It's like a pretty straightforward process. But if you unpack the types of decisions you need to invest, I think because there are so many more decisions to be made, like there's just more providers, there's more account types, there's more ways to save, all of those account types have limits, and then you actually have to choose what investments go in your account. I think we look at the full range of decisions that need to be made and it's like, holy crap, how can I even start to do this on my own? That's a good point. I think overwhelm is definitely something I've experienced and other people I know have experienced. Maybe they just probably end up procrastinating because of all the things. So what would you even suggest someone do in terms of maybe some mindset work, even before looking at any investing accounts or even their goals for retirement? So I would say, first off, commit if this is actually something you want to do. Because it's easy to put it off specifically because it's so far away. I mean, you look at all the goals that you have in the next five years, and it's like, how can we even start to prioritize investing when there's student loans and buying homes and starting families and building up emergency funds? It feels like there's so much stuff that has to happen that retirement kind of gets put on the back burner. And so I think from a mindset perspective, the important first step is just really committing to, yes, this is something I care about. I know it's important for my long-term future. This is something I want to prioritize. And I would say to think of yourself as a learner, somebody who is capable of learning new things. I mean, everybody's done hard stuff in their life before. Almost everybody's done something harder than investing. And so think of a time when you learned a skill that you thought you wouldn't be able to master or a time when you leveled up in your job. Everybody has that anecdotal evidence that you can point to to say, all right, this is this might be challenging. This this might take a little bit of work, but I've totally got this because I'm the kind of person who can totally get this. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Love it. Okay. So let's say somebody is ready to invest. They've looked at their goals and they go, okay, I'm debt-free or mostly debt-free. I've got a couple hundred dollars to set aside for something. And they're thinking about picking a brokerage or talking to a financial advisor, like basically yourself. And they don't know how to approach the meeting. Maybe they're feeling intimidated. So what can someone do in that case? I think it's important to note that we tend to see it as a strict binary, right? Where you're either in there managing everything yourself, you're a completely DIY investor and kind of like your own portfolio manager. And then the flip side is we have this notion of a financial advisor that's like super old school and maybe does everything for you. 
But I would argue that investing from that standpoint is actually a little bit of a spectrum. So there are folks who might only invest in a 401k and that plan might offer the chance to meet with somebody on you know, the occasional basis. You might choose to do it all yourself. You might choose to invest through a website that kind of takes some of the guesswork out of it. But at the end of the day, you're managing your accounts. You might get one-time advice from a financial advisor who can kind of nudge you in the right direction, or you might go for something full service. So I think it's important to realize that there are a lot more options than you think in terms of how you want to approach it. And it's kind of a matter of you maybe doing a little bit of soul searching and really thinking about, is this something I want to do myself? Or is this something that I would feel more comfortable having assistance with? And I'll give you an example of this. I actually have worked with clients in the past who, when they come to me, they have zero investment knowledge. They're opening up their first Roth IRA. They've never done it before. And so the process to them is like totally new and terrifying. And then after a year or two, you know, they kind of get in the swing of things and they're more confident and they're opening their statements on a regular basis. And then, you know, soon I've actually had clients decide that, you know, after a period of time, now that they've kind of gotten engaged and gotten really interested in it and started to learn the basics of how it works, that they're interested in doing it themselves. And, you know, to that extent, I'm like power to you. You know, there are some things in this world that I'll never do myself personally. You know, like I know I could learn to change the oil in my car and I'll probably never do that until I die. And then there are some things that I'm real big on DIYing. So, so figure out kind of where you fall in that spectrum. Do you want help? Do you want to do it yourself? And allow that to dictate the decision of what types of providers and platforms you choose. Would it be useful to give a couple of examples of how you would get started if you wanted to do it yourself versus work with an advisor? Yeah, that would be great. So I would say if you want to do it yourself, there are a couple of platforms that I think make it really easy or make it easier at least. You might try someplace like Vanguard, which is known for its low-cost investments. So costs are one of the few parts of the process that you can control. You know, we can't control what the market does. We can't control what the economy is doing or who's in political office. Like We don't have control over those things, really. And so at the very least, you can do your best to kind of be really efficient and keep fees low. So Vanguard's a great provider for that. If you're looking for something a little bit more in the middle... So you might want a little bit of help assembling things, but you're not ready to talk to a professional yet. Robo-advisors is exactly what it sounds. It's like if, a, if an advisor was a robot. Websites like Betterment, that's better, M-E-N-T, Betterment, will allow you to make an account online and then they'll actually give you some guidance using their algorithmic tools based on what we know about your goals, we think this type of portfolio might be right for you. So that way you're not talking to anybody one-on-one -on -one yet, but you're getting a little bit more assistance. And then I would say if you want to work with financial advisor, if you decide that's the route to go, oftentimes it's good to start by just tapping into your friends and family network. So look around for folks who look like you or who know might have a similar financial situation to you and just start asking around like, hey, do you have a financial advisor? Have you ever worked with somebody like this before? Do you have any recommendations you can make? You know, I think you're going to want somebody who's, you know, one, used to solving the types of, of issues that you might have. And two, is, is going to be a good fit personality-wise, someone you're going to get along with. That's, those are really great resources. I'll definitely link to those in the show notes. So how can you pick one or two things and kind of stick with it and not feel FOMA when there's something else cropping up? Totally. 
So there's an entire field of study devoted to the way that our brains work when it comes to making financial decisions. So behavioral finance is what it's called. And it's almost like if finance and economics had a baby with psychology. And it's totally one of my favorite things to nerd out on. But I love that you mentioned FOMO because there's actually a term for that in the investing world, and it's called regret aversion. And so basically what we're doing is we're making this decision. And then instead of saying what's done is done, you'll go back and you'll look at all of the things that you didn't make. So maybe you chose an investment over the other and you're constantly on the stock app on your phone, checking up on that other investment, see how it's doing, seeing what your friends invested in and how that stuff is doing. So when we have regret aversion, we're sort of acting in such a way to to try and minimize the regret we feel. And we're constantly looking back over our shoulder to see whether that was a good choice. So it's totally tempting to want to get involved in those investments. Like that is one of the more human instincts is like, if you look over there and you see somebody else making money, you're like, hell yeah, how can I get in on that? And I think we, you're right. We saw it with Bitcoin in particular, where especially during periods where Bitcoin was going up and up and up, which, you know, nothing goes up forever. <laughs> but we were looking at folks around and, so, and truly feeling bad that, that we, were, we were not making that good money too. So I would say to that end, think about your goals as being something in the long term. So I only recommend buying an investment that you would personally feel comfortable holding for 20 years, 30 years, however long it takes you to get to retirement. And knowing that in the short run, there's always going to be things that happen. You know, Again, you can't control what the market does. Things get a little chaotic. But I think if you're willing to only buy stuff that, that you would invest in the long run, then hopefully that kind of helps curb some of that regret aversion and kind of helps keep you focused on the long game rather than constantly looking at what your neighbor's doing. Mm, good point. So yeah, we can nerd out on a little bit more on behavioral finance. Is there anything else other than that? regret aversion that you've talked about that people tend to do when it comes to investing? So I would say regret aversion's best friend is what's called loss aversion. And it's exactly what it sounds like. We, we don't like losing money, which we kind of all intuitively know. I mean, nobody likes losing money, right? No. <laughs> the interesting thing about loss aversion is that not only do we hate losing money, we actually hate losing money more than the feeling of loving making money. So like, let me give you a concrete example. Let's say you had $20 in your pocket and you were walking down the street, going to the store and buying lunch or whatever, and you get there and you go into your pocket and it's empty. That like somewhere along the way, the 20 bucks fell out of your pocket. So in order to get the same magnitude of feeling, in order to feel as good as you do bad in this situation, you actually have to find $40. So we, we hate losses twice as much as we like gains. We have to gain twice as much money to feel as good as we did when we felt that bad, which is so interesting to me because it's really a good nudge at how we're likely to act when we feel ourselves in a situation where losing money is likely. So when we open up our statements and we see that the market's down, that can really trigger some stuff for us. Like We get really nervous. It's a, a big magnitude of feeling. And it causes us sometimes to make decisions that are not in our long-term best interests. So like the whole point of investing, right? Um, you've, I'm sure you've heard this. It's like you have to buy low and sell high. So in order to make money, you have to sell your stocks at a, at a higher price than you paid for them. The issue is, is that when things are going down, we kind of lose that long-term mentality and we, we start to get nervous and it leads us to sell and buy at just the worst times. 
Like we, we see things going down and we panic. And so we, we sell out and we, we miss the opportunity to make money later. Or we see what our friends are doing and our, our frenemy regret aversion kicks in and we're buying stuff when it's really, really expensive to buy and uh, maybe not at a super sustainable point. So I think when it comes to investing, it's actually really important that you know your own brain and how it works because so much of it is psychological and so much of it is how we're processing the information about investing and less about actually making some sort of perfect optimal investment decision. So if I go and look at my statement right now and I've lost, I don't know, let's say $10,000 out of how many I have and I'm freaking out and I'm ready to press the button where I can take out all my cash in that moment, what can I do to stay the course? I actually really like Betterment for this reason. So Betterment has a neat tool that keeps people from making these kinds of like splits decision behavioral choices. So if you are trading in in certain types of accounts, if you sell something, that actually can cause you to have to pay taxes on those investments. And so what Betterment did, this is a tool that I thought was super, super nifty. They now have a tax calculator. So like if you go through and you're like, I'm going to sell $2,000 worth of investments, you might get a pop-up message that says, hey, if you make this sale, you might be on the hook for $400 worth of taxes. Are you sure you want to proceed? And that apparently has like served as a behavioral nudge that apparently the sweet spot is like in like the seven to $10 range. That if the tax implications are less than 10 bucks, people are like, okay, this is fine. But we hate taxes so, so much. We hate taxes almost even more than we hate losing money. So if you kind of look at your account and you know that there might be some tax implications, oftentimes thinking through that is going to be a really good motivator to say, well, I'm not happy losing money, but at least I'm not paying taxes, if that makes sense. <laughs> that is hilarious. Like, I hate taxes. I'm just going to throw it out there. Like, self employed people, anytime quarterly taxes come in, I'm grateful that I'm paying all the taxes because that means I'm making a lot of money. But the like, but the pain of like paying the IRS this money is just almost too great. <laughs> I don't know if you understand. Yeah, but- totally. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but for sure. Yeah. And I, it's like a we've got we've got regret aversion and we've got loss aversion. But I would argue there's probably a pretty hefty tax aversion in most of us too, <laughs> and that might be even stronger than the loss aversion. Right, because then you're essentially losing more than just what you've lost in the stock market, right? I mean, if you think about yeah. it, that's okay. So if I were to, because I don't think Vanguard has something like that, and and I apologize to listeners who aren't from the U.S. This is mostly U.S. centric products, but if you can find similar features all the power to you and, and let me know on Instagram or email me at hello at beyond the dollar. But going back to Vanguard, yeah, they don't really, I don't think they have any of that. They, if you can take a distribution, which means you want to take your money out, I think, I think it comes to you in a couple of days or something like that if it's like, a, you know, a taxable brokerage account, but there's no, oh, this is how much you're going to lose. I wonder if, if I'm ready to take all my money out and I find some tax calculator, I don't know if there's something like that out there. But if I can do that, will that help? Yeah, that might be a good option, especially if you're if you're doing it in a taxable account. The other mental hack that I really like in terms of having a little bit of a longer term perspective. So if things are going down, I like to think of it as investments being on sale. If I'm going to a store, I never bring a coupon that says, hey, our stuff is now 30% more expensive. I'm like, I'll take two. That never happens. Um, and yet when it comes to investing and things are on sale and, and they're 10% off or whatever, we get like a magical 10% off coupon for stocks. We're like, whoa, hold the phone. This is terrifying. 
But in fact, like I like to see that as a buying opportunity to say, if I'm seeing that stuff is going down and I've actually got a little bit of extra cash to invest, that's my favorite time to do so personally, because I know that in the long run, I believe that in investments, you know, there's no 20 year period in the history of the US stock market where it's been down over that long term. And so if I've got a retirement account and I've got, you know, 30 years to go and I see that things have taken a bit of a dip, I'm like, heck yeah, stuff's on sale. This is like a good old, good old BOGO deal. So if you're in a couponing, my uh, extreme couponers out there, take advantage of this mental hack. <laughs> That's awesome. So I want to talk about paperwork. You were talking about reading statements and you had a stack of them back when you were teaching the 401ks. Some people don't even want to look at statements or when they look at them or sometimes when you get a prospectus in the mail, which is a kind of annual report, I guess you can say. And people don't really want to read those because it's for them, it's like jargon filled. It feels too complicated. What would you say to that? Is there maybe just some like crucial bare minimum basic things that they should look at or should they go through the whole thing? So I would say if you don't know what's in your 401k account or in your investment accounts in general, for that matter, take a peek now. Just just go and take a little peek. It's not going to hurt you. I promise it's not going to bite. Um, it can feel a little bit scary, but it's always better to know than not know. I'll tell you this story. I actually had somebody who I was working with came to me and they were like, I think I need to hire a professional advisor because my account's just like not doing anything. And I was like, well, what do you mean it's not doing anything? She's like, I don't know. I, I feel like everybody else is making money except for me. And my, you know, like I keep seeing my statements and like it's basically the same amount every single time. So like, what's up with that? So I was like, okay, you know, send me your statement. I'll take a peek for you and just see what's going on there. It turns out that it was her 401k, but she had never made a selection of what to invest in. So she was just like hanging out in cash. It was like a glorified savings account for retirement. And so if you, you know, not to like, you know, put the big scare on you or anything like that, but if you're in a place where it's, it's terrifying to look, I would just, you know, gently remind you that the long-term consequences of not looking can be pretty high if you don't catch it early. So when you're in there looking at your accounts, looking at your options, especially if it's a 401k, the good thing about 401k investing is it's almost like a restaurant menu. They're going to go ahead and filter out some investments for you to choose from. So they're going to present to you a list. I've seen lists as small as like seven investment options. I've seen lists as large as like 40 investment options. But somebody out there has done some curating and, and made you a, a tasty little menu of, of investment decisions. And so what you can do, this is another little hack that I've recommended to folks in the past just for 401k specifically, but there's an entire group of investments called target date funds. And the idea is that you might not know about a ton of in investment knowledge, but you probably have at least a good idea of when you want your goals to take place. And so if you choose a target date fund that's labeled with a year that's close to your retirement age. So for example, um, if you know that you want to retire close to 2040 or 2045 or 2050, um, they're usually in five-year increments. You can just choose the target date fund with the closest date to your retirement date. And that way you're invested in one fund and the fund manager, the people in charge of that fund are going to put you in something more aggressive when you're farther away from that date. And then as you get closer to that date, they're actually going to make some investment decisions on your behalf and then put you in something a little bit more conservative as you get closer to your deadline. So if looking at the full menu of options is still a little bit overwhelming for you, that's totally fine. At least see what you're invested in and see if you're in something super, super conservative or you're just sitting in cash or you didn't make a decision, 
or you've been putting off signing up for your 401k entirely, take a peek at that menu and see if you can find a good target date fund because that's going to be an easy way to get started just to help you get your feet wet. You can always go back and change it later once you're feeling a little bit more confident about investing. I love it. So the overall message is basically one little step at a time and hate taxes more than you hate losing money in the stock market. (laughs) I think that's right. So Michelle, one last question. How are you living beyond the dollar? I would say for me, this is true for investing, but true about money in general. For me, it's all about financial freedom. So I love what I do. I love working and I love serving clients, but I want the option to retire even if I don't have the obligation. So for me, you know, my beyond the dollar is is making sure that I'm building my own financial freedom so that I can also help others to do the, the same. Another big piece of, of how I use money to, to live my best life is, is traveling the world, expanding my horizons, and just making sure that I'm really tuned in to, to what's going on in the world so that I can, I can help others do the awesome. same. So where can people find you? Yeah. So you can read about my work as a financial advisor and financial coach at youngandscrappy.com. I also have a series of courses, which you can find at youngscrappymoney.com. All of those, including a course on investing, can be found there. Awesome. Thank you again, Michelle, for coming on Beyond the Dollar. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me. All right. So as you can tell from the conversation, Michelle and I don't really dive into the technical aspects, which you probably should know by now if you've been a longtime listener of Beyond the Dollar, because at the end of the day, it is really about the emotions and the mindset aspect of it, because you can know all of the complicated jargon. If you don't feel like you're prepared or you're ready or that you can do it, to be honest, it really doesn't matter, right? So the very first thing that Michelle really advocates is to commit. Sounds much easier than it is, right? But really commit to it. Why do you want to invest? All right. Is it for retirement? Is it for some sort of other faraway goal? Like, what is really the reason? And if it's for retirement, like, what do you want to do in retirement? Why do you want to retire? How much money do you want? Think of all of those things, right? For example, for me, I want to be able to save comfortably for retirement because I do not want to have to lean on my son when he's older. That's enough pressure as it is. As you've probably heard in a previous episode with Cameron Huddleston, having your child talk to you as a parent about money can be pretty devastating and pretty stressful. And I do not want to put that on my son. So that's really my reason to commit to it, right? Once you have committed to it or thought about your why, Remind yourself that you can do hard things. I'm pretty sure that there are things in your life that have been easy and that you've done it. Okay. Retirement may be hard, but it's just another thing to tackle. And this is something really especially important whenever I'm doing something new as well. And whenever I've talked to listeners and guests about the hard things that they've done, we humans are capable of it. And I know you can be too. Some tactical things to think about is the idea of regret aversion and loss aversion in which Michelle was talking about. So just as a review, regret aversion is basically you don't want to make a bad decision, okay? And loss aversion is basically where you make a decision based on the fact that you're not going to want to lose money. So 
we are actually as humans hardwired to be more afraid of losing, let's say $5 than it is to make $5. So something she talked about is to think about how much taxes are you going to pay when you take money out of your investments? So the pain of paying taxes or the pain of losing more money than you're going to have, right, might be the key to help you when you're feeling really super emotional about the dives in the stock market and all of those things. All right. So my challenge to you today is what can you commit to today? Okay. What small action? I'm not asking you to go and invest a million dollars, but even something as simple as opening your statement for your 401k or stocks or a brokerage account. What's one tiny thing? Or maybe can you go to the library and find a book that you can borrow? Think of that small thing that you can commit to. Let me know on Instagram at beyondthedollar or email me hello at beyondthedollar.co. Good luck and hope to see you soon. Thank you so much for listening in on Beyond the Dollar. If you like what you heard, please share with a friend. It'll help share the mission of what we're trying to do, which is to have more deep and honest conversations about how money affects our well-being. Tag them on Instagram or one of my posts at Beyond the Dollar. Send them a link. Whatever you want to do to spread the mission of what we're doing here. Now, if you feel that putting monies towards the things that really matter is a challenge for you, download our values-based spending guide. You'll gain clarity around what matters to you most in life, be able to name your most important values, and how to start putting money towards those things. To download the values-based spending guide, go to beyondthedollar.co slash values. Thank you again for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode. And thanks to Donovan Durant for providing this awesome music. Music.